Hello, and welcome to the Original Lady Buddha podcast. I'm the Original Lady Buddha, and this is a show about art in relation to life. Hope you'll enjoy. Wow. This is the first episode of the Original Lady Buddha podcast, and I'm nervous, I'm excited, I've got a bunch of different other emotions kind of sitting with me right now. Um, But I'm mostly excited. I'm excited to share the story of my life with you. I'm excited to share the stories of others' lives with you and how art has impacted them. So we are going to kick off our first episode with a work of art that was created by yours truly, the original Lady Buddha. And uh, it was created back in 2014, around 2015, in that kind of era. And it is a diptych made on wood, uh, out of salt, a multimedia piece, there's prints, there's all sorts of materials in it. And we're just going to talk about the story and the memories associated this, of this, associated with this work of art. So, you know, fasten up your seatbelts, get ready, because this one is going to be a handy dandy roller coaster. When I look at this piece, I see a lot of different things. I, I think of, you know, some pretty horrible memories. I think of, you know, the night that I got cheated on. I think of many evenings spent at a local printmaking studio. I think of, you know, an after, a Saturday afternoon trying to glue individual pine needles onto it. I, I think of the coldness of winter in my apartment trying to to spend you know trying to lay in bed burning into the wood and remember feeling like the the smoke of the wood from the use of my wood burning tool kind of get into my eyes and irritate my eyes but this piece is titled tombstone and it's really about for me one particular night a particular night for me which is you know you know for lack of a better word you know traumatic mildly traumatic and I think that and I say mildly because I want to put it in perspective with the rest of the world perspective with other types of trauma but you know when I look at this piece I immediately go back to the version of myself who is not confident who is being taken advantage of and thinking that she's the one taking advantage, you know, to a version of myself who, who needed help. You know, this is a version of myself who had just gotten out of a seven year relationship, an unhealthy seven year relationship, a version of myself who was working for jobs and just found a a relationship for the first time outside of their seven-year relationship. Um, I had, I was working at a local grocery store at the time in a, in a larger city and making, you know, just above minimum wage, working, you know, a bunch of other part-time jobs. And I was working as a cashier. I remember, you know, getting this job after moving to the city. I had nothing secured. You know, I just was moving in, I moved to the city on faith, you know, and dedication and, you know, pure, pure faith. 
and I got this job and I was so excited. You know, I was a bagger and I immediately got promoted to be a cashier. And then I, you know, not even not even too much longer after that, I was promoted to be, you know, a customer service representative. And I remember the first night that I met my ex-boyfriend. I was, you know, joking around at the register with a bunch of my colleagues, a bunch of my coworkers, and I don't remember what we were joking around about anymore, but I remember thinking, I want to really solidify my friend group in the city. I, I just got here after school. I want to reestablish myself outside of, you know, what was previously me, what was what I defined myself as. And I really did define myself as the, the girl in the seven-year relationship, the girl who, you know, is almost in a seven-year relationship. And I remember him asking me if I wanted to go out with a bunch of our coworkers and me being so excited and then realizing he doesn't have my phone number and he's really cute. Um, this couldn't hurt, right? So I hit the button on the on the receipt uh, printer and you know, make it print out a little or spit out a kind of empty piece of receipt and I scribbled on my phone number. And I handed it to him. And that led me to a into a spiral. You know, we went to karaoke as a friend group and we flirted and we got to know each other and he told me he loved me on like the fourth or fifth date and I thought that was fast, but my heart was so broken that I was ready to accept any any sort of love. I wanted to believe in love again. I was so hurt. I just wanted I was desperate for love. And I remember the first time I had the inkling that he was cheating on me. There was another woman, there was another girl posting on the Facebook page on his Facebook page and I was like, "Who the hell is this?" And he said, it's just a friend. It's just a friend. It's just a friend. At this point, I hadn't been to his house at all. I had never seen his house. And I was really concerned. And then he started school. He went back to school. He decided that that's what he wanted to do. And I was really supportive and really happy for him. And then it was a girl texting him. Oh, she's just a friend. Oh, she's just a friend. And and it was another girl. Oh, she's just a friend. Oh, she's just a friend. And I'm thinking, I can't be this naive. This has got to be something. This has to be something. I'm not that, you know, I'm not that vulnerable that I'm imagining, you know, this guy cheating on me for no valid reason. And I remember I was working one night late at second at, um, at this print studio in the city and I think I worked until about midnight on this piece. I had it. It wasn't quite finished. It took me, you know, for context, this piece took me years and years to finish. And I thought, okay, well, we have plans tonight. I'm supposed to come over to his house. I'm going to hop on the train and go see him. I haven't heard from him in a couple hours. He's not answering my phone calls or text messages. But we had plans. Maybe his, there's something wrong with his phone. And then I had this, you know, in the back of my head, in my gut, I'm like, he's cheating on me. He's with another woman. That's why he's not answering. He's with another girl. That's why he's not answering. And I said, 
myself, okay, you're going to go. You're going to go tonight. You had plans. You have every right to go and see him. And so I went. And, you know, the closer I got, it took me about an hour to get to his house. So it wasn't far. I mean, it wasn't close. And I'm getting closer and closer. No text, no phone call, no nothing. I'm really getting anxious. I'm really thinking, oh my God, he's cheating on me. Oh my God, he's cheating on me. And I get there. I get off the train. I walk the additional 15 minutes to get to his house that he shared with a bunch of roommates. And I get there. I call him one last time. He doesn't answer. I text him. He doesn't answer. I'm like, well, I, I've traveled an hour to get here. So I'm knocking on the door. I ring the doorbell this particular building the landlord had a separate room for his staff to stay overnight because this landlord's from me from another city nearby and this guy answers the door and I say hi I'm such and such girlfriend um I think his phone died can you let me in and he lets me in because he knows me I've been there plenty of times I get inside and my heart drops it just completely drops I'm thinking to myself, I just got in, I'm, I'm in his house. I, 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 we have plans. I'm supposed to be here, but I really don't feel like I'm supposed to be here. And I, you know, go straight through to the back of the house. I turn, I go up the stairs slowly. I'm, I'm so anxious at this point. I drop my headphones. I step on my brand new headphones. I crush them. They're broken. They're not even going to work for my ride home. You know, when next time I'm going to use them. The stairs are pitch black. I don't bother turning on a single light. I'm so anxious. I'm so fight or flight in this moment trying to figure out, oh, my God, is he cheating on me? Oh, my God, someone's cheating on me. And I get, you know, to the top of the stairs. I'm wrapping up, you know, quickly, very quickly wrapping up my headphones. I'm putting them in my pocket. And then I turn. And I turn down the hallway that is leading to his bedroom. I pass his roommate's bedroom and then his other roommate's bedroom. And I sit, I sit, I stand, I stop, and I stand in front of his door. And I think to myself, do, should you knock? Do you want to know what's going on? Do you really want to know what's going on behind that door? I look down, I can see that there's a blue flickering light. That means he's watching YouTube or watching a movie. He's awake or he fell asleep watching this. I don't hear anything much and just pretty quiet on the other end of the door. I'm thinking, do you really want to know? Do you want to know? You know deep down in your soul that he is awake right now. He is ignoring your texts and your calls. Do you want to know what's on the other side of that door? And the answer was yes and no. I did. I, I wanted to know, but I didn't want the hurt that came along with it. And I knocked. No answer. I knock. I say his name. It's quiet. I think I hear something. I say his name again. It's the original Lady Buddha. Can you hear me? Are you there? You know, I, I say my name, I say, are you, are you there? I knock on the door. Then I get upset. I said, I know you're in there. 
I can see the TV flickering. I can see it. I came the whole way here. You better let me in. He... No, this is the part of the story where I go a little blank, right? Because I, this is the moment of the anticipation. I don't even remember what happens at this moment. The next thing I remember is him opening the door. Just a few inches, maybe three inches. He pokes his head out and he looks like a ghost. He is in shock. He is like, oh my God. Whoa, why is she standing right here in my doorway? And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, you haven't answered my phone calls or my texts. He said, he tries to close the door. I said, is someone in there? Is someone in there? There's someone in there. There's someone in who's in there. And he says, go home, go home, go home. Just calm, clearly shaken, but calm, go home. No, is someone in there? Is someone in there? I was persistent. I, I needed to know. He said, go home. He closed the door. I knew there was someone in there. I heard, I heard them. And I was so upset. I immediately broke out into tears, sobs, cries. I ran away. It was fight or flight. And I wasn't fighting. I wasn't going to break down the door and beat the shit out of some woman who was being taken advantage of, you know, being lied to. I wasn't going to beat the shit out of this guy. You know, my ex-boyfriend, as much as he was an asshole, like not, not something I do. Fight or flight, I flew. And I turned around and I walked as fast as I could, fully expecting for him to chase after me. And to some extent, I was right. He did. I had my work of art, I had this very piece, this piece called Tombstone, in my arms, half finished, and I took it down the stairs, I ran, you know, I ran down the hall, I ran down the stairs, I ran through the living room, out the front door, turned around, ex fully expecting for him to be there, for him to be chasing me, apologizing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? Is no one here? It's just a mistake. Please. It's, it's a misunderstanding. Or even just, I'm so sorry. This is the worst mistake that I could have ever made. I, 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 I betrayed you and your trust. No, I turn around and I see the door closing and locking behind me. He chased me. He followed me out. But he only followed me out to make sure I stayed out. And that's okay. It wasn't my house. But the pain that I felt over my entire body. Not only was this man cheating on me, but he didn't even care enough to apologize or feel resentment about it. He locked me out. He didn't even want to say goodbye. He didn't even tell me anything. He left me in his front yard with all of my things, all of my belongings, and this work of art sobbing hysterically. And I'm losing it. I had never thought it was humanly possible for someone to disregard your feelings enough to cheat on you. I literally thought that I was... You know, I could have been living on a cloud that I was 
never, I would never be cheated on. I would never be the person that was ever cheated on. I mean, I'm the original Lady Buddha, right? I am the person, you know, who encouraged you to go to school, who, you know, believed in you, who cooked you meals, you know, when you came over. I was the person who lived up to a lot of the standards that I really found to be a good girlfriend. And the reality hit me that it doesn't matter how hard you try. If the person doesn't respect you, if the person doesn't love you, if they don't respect women, if they have their own issues, it doesn't fucking matter. And so I remember feeling so distraught, so angry, so sad, so just aggressively emotional. I I didn't even know what to do. I had so much emotional energy that I threw this diptych piece into the ground so hard it flung that it was almost a tombstone in the ground, thrown like a discus in, you know, track and field, like thrown like a shitty discus where it just really goes into the ground and stands right up. And that didn't happen to this piece. It almost did. It kind of bounced and then skidded down. And, and I remember just the sadness and the overwhelm and the anger and the multitude of emotions. And I remember thinking, absolutely effing not. He will not lock me out of his house and not have this discussion about cheating and about a betrayal and the fact that we're in a committed relationship. We're not going to have that. You know, I'm not going to have you cheat on me and leave me in the dust and never have a conversation with me ever, ever again with no remorse, no harm, no foul. Yeah. No, that is not going to be me. I'm not going to be the woman who is taken advantage of. I leave the piece down. I walk around to the back of the house and I look right up at his window. Hmm. YouTube, the TV, it's playing again. This woman never left. She never left. I say his first name. I say his last name. I scream his first name. I scream his last name. I scream his first name. I scream his last name. I scream his first name. I scream his last name. And until finally he cracks the window. Okay, okay, I'm coming out. Okay, I wait. I walk around front. I wait. He comes out. Never has this man looked so handsome in my entire life. The bitterness, the anger, the fact that this man could betray me and I still found him attractive when he walked out the front door after laying in bed with another woman. That is the anger that I felt so deeply inside me that I didn't even know what to do. The silence struck me. He came out. I looked at him. He looked at me. You should go home. I think that to myself. I should go home. What's the point in this conversation? This relationship is over. Why did you do this? I say, why would you do that? I said, he said, I don't know. I asked question after question. I don't know. It just is. He says, you know, it just is. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't lie. He just says it just is. It just is. And never in my entire life have I felt so betrayed, so hurt. I don't remember, you know, the next few moments after that. I don't remember. I just remember that blue V-neck tee with his jeans loosely on. I remember the look of sorrow, but not, not real sorrow. He feels bad, but he doesn't feel bad for his actions. It's that weird look that I will never forget. The look that haunts me when I think, is this the look that he gave me when he lied to me, to my face, and told me he loved me? 
told me that he could really, for the first time, maybe even see a life with me. I feel haunted by that look. I don't remember anything after that look. I don't remember when he went back inside. I remember taking a photo of, of one of the lamps that lit up the walkway. I mean, this was late. It was late at night. It was like one in the morning. And all I do, all I do remember after that is thinking, oh my God, I'm going to miss the last train. I'm going to be stuck an hour away from home. I am not only going to have been cheated on and rejected and left outside for him to return to another woman in bed, but I am going to be stuck an hour away from home with no way home. No way home. Not money for a taxi in my wallet. Not anything. I remember walking back to the train thinking, oh my God, please, please let there be the train. Please let me catch the last train. Please let me catch the last train. I, I'm walking, I'm calling, I'm sobbing. I'm, I sit outside, you know, before I even left, just bawling on his curb. The neighbors, they saw me, they didn't do anything. They didn't console me. I could have been raped. They would have never known. I mean, that's the type of, you know, de desperation when you feel it in your soul and you are sobbing and you are crying and someone sees you and rejects you after you've just been rejected in this way. I mean, it is soul crushing. I remember getting up and walking to this train that I thought I was going to miss that I, and calling everyone I possibly could calling my best friend, calling my, my closer friends, you know, friend after friend after friend, no one's answering. It's two, three in the morning. No one's answering calling my sister, no one answers, calling my mom, she doesn't answer, calling my best friend again, she doesn't answer, calling my ex-boyfriend of seven years, he answers, picks up, says, I don't know what's wrong, but you need to call your sister, in between my deep, desperate sobs, and hangs up. I don't know what's wrong, but you need to call your sister. Don't you think that I have tried to call my sister? I had tried to call my sister and my mother and my friends and my best friend. And I tried to call everyone in this waking moment, in the moment that I needed the support more than any, any other support moment in my entire life, including the breakup of my seven-year relationship, and no one answered. I don't know what's wrong, but call your sister. That was the depths. I get to the train station. I am so lucky to have caught a train home. And then I get a phone call. I'm on the train. I'm in the back of the car, sitting there, you know, keeping my head down because, you know, a crying person is a victim. A crying person is a is vulnerable to anything, to robbery, to, you know, whatever. And I know, I know this. So I'm keeping myself safe in this way. And I'm putting my head down and keeping to myself. And my best friend calls me back. It's her calling me from her mom's phone. She's camping. What's wrong? What's wrong? I'm crying. He cheated on me. He cheated on me. And Again, another moment. I don't remember much else. I don't remember getting off the train, walking the 20 minutes from the train back to my apartment. I don't remember any of that. I went home and made a video about how I felt that night and 
I don't even remember what I said. I do know that I defined what love meant to me and what betrayal meant to me and what I viewed was, you know, was what I thought was acceptable and what I thought wasn't and expressed a lot of my emotions. But here's the thing. I don't remember any of that. The only reason I can tell you that is because I still have the video to show for it. So when you ask what I think of when I think of this piece, I think of that night. I think of freezing my ass off at this local printmaking studio. I think of the worry. I think of the rejection. Not only the rejection of my ex-boyfriend, but the rejection of all of my friends not answering when I need them the most. The rejection of my ex-boyfriend not caring that I am sobbing on the other end of the line and hanging up. Not even asking if I'm in real danger. When I think of this piece, I think of rejection and I look at it and I see, you know, it's incompleteness, the, the lack of healing in it. And I see the bleeding of some of the ink and it makes me think of kind of that, the knife and back feeling. I look at, you know, another aspect of the piece and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, a, a piece of paper that's collaged from one of my jobs when I was teaching and the, the children's spilling play-doh water on it and how that job was so hard this part-time job that I traveled another hour and a half for was so hard and I loved those kids but damn it was difficult and I just I think about a time in my life where I was just incomplete this bare bones piece really feels like it's a direct reflection of who I was back in 2014 slash 2015 back during that time of my life and people can look at it and they'll say wow no this is beautiful this is serene this is peaceful but when I look at it that's not what I see it's a moving meditation for me um, on on the night and a direct reflection of who I was in that moment but it also tells me who I am now and how much I've grown and how much my work has grown and creates a sense of feeling humble, feeling grateful for where I'm at today and that I can share something like this with you to see maybe you've gone through something like this. maybe you relate to the story in some way, shape, or form, whether it's the emotional desperation or the fact that you've been cheated on. Maybe you relate to the aesthetic qualities of the piece, which you can find on my blog, theoriginalladybuddha.com, in, in conjunction with this podcast. You know, maybe you can relate. I don't know. Only you do. And that was the very first episode of the Original Lady Buddha podcast. I am the Original Lady Buddha. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me and sharing my story, holding space for me. And if this was relatable to you, if it felt like it struck a chord or it just was intriguing, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we hope to see you next time. You can find more information at www.theoriginalladybuddha.com. Take care, guys.